Good morning. How's all I didn't see you this morning? Good. You don't act that way. Kind of quiet and subdued and everything else. Uh, it's good to be with you. It's good to get a chance to preach the word of the Lord as always. And uh, Mr. Zanger got us started really well last week. And uh, as we start today, what I want to do is I want to challenge you a little bit. It's kind of like what Mr. Flynn was saying. When we come into chapel, what I feel a lot of times is We've been rushing through the day, you've been rushing through your morning, you've been kind of just getting here, uh, yeah, we'll sing a worship song, we'll, we'll do whatever, and your hearts are not prepared. Your hearts aren't prepared to hear the word of the Lord, your hearts aren't prepared to worship the Lord as you need to, and uh, that's not right, and I, I want to challenge you, just like Mr. Flynn, and I challenged you last time I spoke, your hearts need to be right. You have a duty to worship God and to worship Him well. And when we don't do those things, when we don't prepare ourselves to do that, then we are really treating the Lord very flippantly. And we're just treating that this time is not important. And, and I want it to be an important time. And uh, as we come here together this morning, what I want to do to start out with is I just want you to take a few seconds here just to prepare your hearts, maybe even a little bit more. Uh, what an awesome song, Great is the Lord. And uh, hopefully that you are more than just singing the song and kind of saying, hey, I sound pretty good today. Or what am I doing? I don't want to sing or whatever. But I want you to spend just a couple seconds here to prepare your heart. And so we're going to go into silence. Uh, I just want you to say a quick prayer, and then I'll open us in prayer, and we'll get going here, okay? So let's pray. Father, you know our hearts. May you change them as they need to be changed. May you help us to hear your word. May your spirit move this day so that you and you alone would be glorified. Amen. Well, this morning I'm going to ask you, are you ready to hear the word of God and what he can teach you today? And I want you to hear this profound statement that, uh, that you hear all the time, and yet it's so important. Nothing else matters in this life besides Jesus Christ. Nothing else matters. To be found in him, to be his, to know him. Do you believe that statement? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? and him alone for your eternal life. Now, what I've just said is a very profound statement. It is a statement that should never be taken lightly, and yet, you know what? I'll be the first to admit, I take it lightly. And as a school, we take it lightly. If you've grown up in church, if you've been at NC at any amount of time, you have dealt with and heard this sentence over and over and over again. At this point in your life, it might just be like water off a duck's back. It just rolls off, and you don't even think about it. It's in one ear, out the other. You don't really even have any kind of an effect upon you from the profound statement that there is nothing else that matters in life besides Jesus Christ. Maybe it's just become a cliche for you, an overused statement that doesn't affect you. And that is not, as Christians, what we should be about. That needs to change if it's that way. 
And I have to look at myself, and I have to look and say, you know what, God, help me to change and help me to come back as I need to. Well, we're going to talk to Jonah today or talk about Jonah, but before I go there, I want you to direct a, just a verse, one verse in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, and it's Paul speaking there. And you see the heart and the, you see the desire of Paul. You really see the theme of his life is found in it. It's a very well-known verse. For to me, Paul is speaking here, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Is Christ your reason for being? Is everything that you do focused upon Jesus Christ? And honestly, I struggled as I prepared this today. I struggled with how do I get you, how do I get me to understand this? To understand that nothing else matters. To live is Christ and to die is gain. What words can I say to explain that or to describe it to you good enough so that you could have an understanding. And uh, you know what? I don't know if I have the words. And I just pray that the Holy Spirit would open your heart to understand those words of Paul. But what I did do is I went and I looked at a couple different men who I would uh, esteem highly, uh, not in the place of the Lord or anything, but who I trust. And one of them is John MacArthur. And so on that table, you got a little, little quote from John MacArthur. Uh, as he looks at uh, Philippians 1, verse 21, this is what he says. And I want you, you can read it or you can just listen. And I'm going to read this quote because I think he says it so well. This is the words that I would like to come up with to say, uh, to understand what is Paul saying when he says, to live is Christ. To live is Christ. He says this. This is what Paul would say. I live only to serve him only to commune with him, only to love him. I have no concept of life other than that. I am totally wrapped up in Christ, loving him, knowing him, preaching him, serving him. Christ is the reason for my hope, or excuse me, Christ is the reason for my being, the reason for my existence. I am occupied with Christ. I trust Christ, love Christ, hope in him, obey Christ, preach Christ, follow Christ, fellowship with Christ. It's all Christ. Christ and Christ alone is my inspiration, my direction, my meaning, my purpose. Consumed, that's a great word, consumed, dominated, another great word, by Christ. So if the gospel advances, I'm happy. If Christ is proclaimed, I'm happy. If the Lord is magnified in my body, I'm happy. Whether I live or die doesn't matter to me. In fact, give me the choice, I'd rather die. Dying is gain. What do you mean? Well, it relieves me from the burdens of this life and frees me to really glorify him, which is what I live for, and to fellowship with him, which is what I long for. Living is Christ, dying is gain. His life is dominated by his love for Christ, his life is dominated by his devotion to Christ. How short have I fallen from that desire, what Paul has? And I think I'm safe to say how short you have fallen from that same desire, if you have that desire. Even Paul fell short of this desire. But the question is, are you consumed by Christ? 
Does he dominate every single moment of your life? Do you have a passion, a passion for Christ? I know I'm not where I want to be, and I'm sure if I asked you, where are you at? You would have to say you're not where you want to be at either. Now, you could be saying at this second, wait a second, Mr. Paul, time out. We're supposed to be talking about Jonah here. We're supposed to be talking about the guy that gets swallowed by the big whale, the big fish. You're not doing the right chapel. And my response to you would be this. Because my life and yours is not dominated by Christ as it should be, I need to be reminded of lessons that are learned in Jonah. I need to be reminded so that they can help me become more what I need to be, to have that desire to live for Christ. And as we look at Jonah, we're going to turn to Jonah. You can turn back to Jonah chapter 1, if you're not already there. In the book of Jonah, at least at the beginning, what you see is Jonah has a theme as well. Paul had the theme, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Jonah's theme was something like this. To live is Jonah. To live is Jonah. We have the same theme. To live is me. What MacArthur says so well, is that truly your desire? Or do we get caught up in all the other things of life that, that all of a sudden Christ isn't my passion? He, isn't, he doesn't dominate my thoughts, my life, what I'm about. He doesn't consume me. I'm more consumed with basketball. I'm more consumed with wrestling. I'm more consumed with speech or, or working hard in school. I'm consumed with everything else about, except for Jesus Christ. And oh, yeah, yeah, he's there. He's important. But I'm not consumed or dominated by him. And so Jonah's theme, much like our theme, is to live is about me. When Christ doesn't dominate or consume you, that's going to take place. I want you to hear this statement here. There is no better place on earth to be than in the will of God. There is no better place on this earth to be than to be in God's will, to be obedient to what he's asking you to do. And the only way that you can be obedient is if Jesus Christ is dominating your life. As we're going to go into Jonah, I love the fact that the Bible doesn't hide sin. It doesn't hide the weaknesses or the shortcomings of the people that we read about. It tells it all, warts and all. And it should encourage each of us that these people are just like you and me. They were not perfect. They were not some saint that had a halo on them all the time. But God loved them and he used them for his purposes, and he can do the same with us. I believe it's safe to say that if we're honest with ourselves, you can see yourself, I can see myself in Jonah, because the same things that Jonah does is the exact same things I do, if we're willing to look and admit it. And so we're going to read Jonah chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 1 again, and I go through verse 13. So if you would please stand as we read the word of the Lord in reverence for God's word. Let's hear what God has to tell us this morning. Hear now the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amity, saying, Rise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. 
And the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea. There was a great storm on the sea so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God. And they threw the cargo, which was in the ship, into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down below into the hold of the ship, lain down, and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you're sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. And each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots so we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell to Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us now on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do, so that what should we do to you, that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. And he said to them, Pick me up, throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that on account of me this great storm has come upon us, upon you. However, the men rode desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. The word of the Lord for people of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, verses 1 through 3, we have already covered in Jonah. Mr. Zanger did an excellent job of covering that last week. I'm going to give a quick summary and move on. Uh, there would be a lot more that we could add to it, but we already took care of that last week, so we're not going to cover it again. Here's what I pull out from chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Uh, you can disobey God. Okay, Any of us, all of us, can disobey God, but God will still fulfill his purposes with you or without you. He'll still fulfill his purposes whether you're with it, in it, or not. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, talks about Christians. Okay, here's what the verse. For we, we Christians, are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. God has prepared works for you to do. And you will do those that he has prepared because you cannot do anything. You will not, you will not be able just to do whatever you want if God wants you to do something, it will happen. See Jonah. If you are a Christian, why would you want to disobey God? Why would you want to say, no, I don't want to do that, God? And even though we do that many times, God continues to remain faithful and God pursues us. Jonah hid and fled. His life at this point was not dominated by God. To live is Jonah. And that's where Jonah was. Charles Haddon Spurgeon uh, said this quote at the end of verse 3. It fits pretty well. He says, all the while the ship sailed smoothly over the sea and Jonah forgot about God, about his God. You could not have distinguished him from the very most heathen on board. He was just as bad as they were. But then you come verse 4. And we see the amazing words. When you see a conjunction with God right after it, it's always amazing to see and to understand what a profound statement 
Uh, I know in the ESV it says, but God. In mine it says, and the Lord. And what does God do? There is God here at this point. And what we see is God takes action. You know, it's always interesting to me when you look at the actions of the Lord in the Bible. And you see God's sovereignty. You see his power over every aspect of the universe. Here is God at work to fulfill his purpose. Jonah, you think you can get away from me? (laughs) Fat chance. And God hurls a storm onto this sea. This is not just some other God. If you look in your book and if you look in the verses that come ahead, the sailors pray to their God, lowercase g, false gods. This is Yahweh. This is the God of the universe. This is God that has created all things. This God is the one that hurls the great wind. He has power over anything in this, in this universe, much less this world. And it says in chapter, or in verse 4, that the ship is ready to break apart. In verse 5, what we see is the sailors become afraid. That's pretty rare for a sailor to become afraid. If you're sailing on the, on the sea, y- you've seen a lot of things. You're probably not going to become very scared very easily. And yet, they were frightened. They are scared to the point that they are anticipating harm to them. I'm going to die. I'm going to die in this. And I'll do anything it takes to prevent that from happening. They're desperate. We probably can't understand that because we've probably never been in that situation where it could be. The thought goes through your head, you know what? I could die in this situation. And so they're desperate, and what do they do? They cry out to their gods, lowercase g again. They cry out to those gods that are deaf, that can't hear anything, that are dumb, can't speak, that are powerless, that are blind. It's futile. And yet that's what they do because they don't know anything else to do. They try to take matters into their own hands. They lighten their ship. They throw all their cargo off in an attempt to save themselves. And while all this is going on, this chaos of the ship, the storm, the huge storm that it is, where's Jonah? Well, if you look, he's sleeping. And it says he's not just sleeping. He's sleeping soundly. He's in there good and, and comfortable, and he's asleep. Chaos is all around, and the man who knows the one true God that can save is the one that's sleeping. He is disobedient, and he's asleep. If you want to take a little application, in our world today, how many Christians are exactly the same? We're disobedient, and we're asleep. We're asleep to the spiritual things of this world that we need to be aware of. Verse 6, the captain comes down. How can you be sleeping, Jonah? Call on your God, lowercase g, again. Maybe your God, lowercase g, can save us. He doesn't know. He doesn't know the one true God. He's desperate. I'll try any God. You know what? Back in the day of Rome, there were so many gods out there. You could pick and choose. Hey, you know, I like this one. I like this one. It's like going to the grocery store. But it was a God grocery store where you just picked out the ones that you thought would be helpful to you. And you could change. Hey, you know what, Jonah, you pray to your God, and and maybe he'll save you, and and I'll take him then, because he'll save. It's interesting to see the desperation of men, what they're willing to do. So call on your God. 
I'll try anything. In verses 7 through 8, what we see is the sailors, they're, they're still concerned. And even though the ship is a tumult and everything else going on, they have time to cast lots. Um, they want to determine who's at fault. There's got to be somebody that's causing all this stuff to happen. This was taken very seriously. If you cast lots, they, they took the outcome as, as truth. In the Old Testament, lots were cast sometimes by God's people, and God allowed that to take place, okay? Uh, nowhere in the New Testament is lots, casting of lots ever commanded or taught, and so Christians don't need to today cast lots. And I think that's really important to understand that you'll see that in the Old Testament a lot where people, they cast lots and they try to determine the outcome of different things, okay? Um, but we are not supposed to do that now because we have the complete word of God. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit if you're a believer, and he's guiding us. We don't need those kinds of things anymore. You don't need a sign to say, oh, I got it, God, you got to give me a sign so that I know what I'm supposed to do. That's sinful. You never want to do those kinds of things, and yet we see people do that all the time. But these sailors, they cast Lot back in. Let's figure out who's to blame, and just imagine this. The Lot falls to Jonah. Huh, I wonder why. I wonder who was in control. So they question Jonah, why is this happening? Where are you from? What country are you from? What's your people? And in verse 9, what we see is Jonah says, I'm a Hebrew. That's the name that they use, that, that the non-Jewish people would use, or the Jews used a lot for the, the non-Jewish people when they were talking to them. And so he says, I'm Hebrew. And he says this, and this is another amazing statement. He says, I fear the Lord God of heaven. Now, the fear of the Lord is really important. You all, if you're a Christian, should have it. Even Jonah has it, but it's kind of interesting because he's disobedient. He's, he's not doing what God wants him to do. And so how are you really fearing, Jonah, when you're not being obedient to the one that you're supposed to fear? If you're, not, if you're being disobedient, that shows a lack of fear. And maybe Jonah's coming around at this point. I don't know. But there's a reverence, there's an awe, there's a terror. And Jonah says, I fear Lord God. Even in sin, he has a proper understanding of the truth of God. Again, you have to look at the word Lord God here and understand the title. This is Yahweh Elohim. It's not just some little lowercase, deaf, dumb, mute God, but this is the true God. That may mean nothing to those sailors, but it should mean something to you. This is Yahweh, the creator of all things. What the men, though, on the sailors pick up on is this, that he is the God who created the sea and the dry land. Uh-oh. Did you say he made the sea and all this stuff is going on? No wonder why we have problems right now. No wonder why this horrible storm is upon us. Because your God is the one that made this. And apparently, it's pretty evident that he's not very happy right now, Jonah. It becomes very evident to them very quickly that God is controlling the sea. It's God's power at work. And so they ask the question, verse 10, how could you do this? They're not concerned with Jonah, uh, his disobedience. This is interesting because Jonah tells them, you know what, I was fleeing from God. And they were okay with that when he got on the ship. And they were okay with it as long as things were good. But once things got bad, all of a sudden, they're, they're concerned not so much about his disobedience even then until they find out that, oh, because of your disobedience, the storm is going on. They're still frightened for their lives. They knew Jonah was fleeing. He told them that because to live is Jonah. Probably didn't get much thought until now about, oh, you know what? 
if you're being disobedient and your God is real, we're in trouble. And so they finally come to that uh, realization. And so in verse 11, what they say is, what should we do with you? Uh, God is making the sea worse and worse, so it's not like it's going away. I think what you're really seeing there is this God that made the sea, uh, he wants something to happen, and it continues to get worse until it's going to take place. And so Jonah says uh, in verse 12, well, you need to throw me overboard. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, and then the sea will become calm. That's interesting. Um, I don't know, because the Bible doesn't say, what is Jonah's heart at this point? Is he all of a sudden realizing and, and saying, you know what, I'm in trouble, God forgive me? Is he repenting? What's going on? I don't know, but I know this, that Jonah says pretty much, I'm willing to die. Now, it maybe was that his thought was, you know what, I've screwed up, God's angry with me, and so it's just better for me to die. And maybe that's it. So throw me into the sea and it'll be all be over. It might be that he was willing to say, you know what, I, I can sacrifice myself and God will calm the storm if I do this and I'm willing to do that. I'm not sure how he came up with the idea to toss himself into the sea or the sailors to do that, but that's what's going to take place. And so we see in verse 13 that the men tried desperately to row back to land. Can't happen. Uh, God answered through the sea. He became, it became even more violent. And these men are not willing to kill Jonah, but it sure doesn't look like they have much choice. They don't want to kill him because they don't want to be guilty of murder. And you're going to look at that more next week, so I won't necessarily cover any more of that. But that's kind of where we're going to stop for the day. That you have, hopefully, the picture. In the old TV shows, they used to have what they called cliffhangers, where somebody was in peril, and you're not sure if they're going to be able to survive or not. And you had to wait a whole week to come back and watch the next episode to see what's going to happen. Okay, for me, it was Star Wars with Empire Strikes Back when Han Solo got frozen, and I had to wait three years to find out if he was going to get out and get alive again or not. Three years as a little kid, that was pretty tough, pretty traumatizing for me. I made it somehow. But you have to wait till next week to find out what happens. But I want you to picture this. You got the men, they got Jonah up, on their, up above their heads, and they're getting ready to throw, and that's as far as we're going to go, okay? So you have to come back next week and see what happens. But I want to go back and I want to look at this a little bit more. Let's take a moment and remember. How in the world did Jonah get to that place? Why is he above the heads of these men getting ready at the rail to be thrown into the sea? Why is this happening? Because Jonah was trying to hide and flee from the Lord. His life was not dominated by God. It's a very simplistic statement that is really true nobody can ever hide from God no matter how how hard you try and we can look at Jonah we can shake our heads and we can feel pretty proud and confident that we aren't like him <laughs> what a loser this Jonah running from God I'd never do something like that you kind of get the feel a little bit like the Pharisee and the tax collector when the Pharisee was standing up back and saying God I'm glad you didn't make me like this loser the problem is that you and I are just like Jonah we may not be on a boat. We may not go in an opposite direction as far as on a boat. But if you're not doing what you should be doing for the Lord, if you're not doing what you know you should be doing for the Lord, what the Lord has commanded you to do, you are hiding and fleeing from God just like Jonah. Just like him. There is no difference. The question that you must answer, the one that you have to truly deal with and evaluate in your life, 
is does that even bother you? Does it bother you that I'm trying to hide and flee? Are you in a sense asleep like Jonah? Not physically asleep, but spiritually asleep. Not living out what you need to in your life as a Christian. How are you trying to hide from God? What does your fleeing look like? Well, I want to talk to two groups of people real quick here this morning. Uh, unbelievers and believers, okay? We're going to deal with unbelievers first. And believers, uh, unbelievers, I hope that you would listen to this. If you cannot say that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, I pray that the Holy Spirit would allow your heart to open, that you can hear what I'm going to share, that you would understand what I'm going to share. Yeah, you hear it. It might be head knowledge, but is it heart knowledge? Your heart must change. Here's some truths that you need to understand. Number one, you are naturally trying to hide from God. As an unbeliever, you naturally try to hide. It's in your nature. It's your sin nature that you will hide. Genesis chapter 3, Adam, when he took and ate of the fruit and he sinned against God, always before Adam had been in a perfect relationship with the Lord, he loved to walk with the Lord, he used to do everything with the Lord that when God was around, and now when God comes down after this moment, what does Adam do? He hides. It's in your nature that you're going to hide. Number two, you can't hide from God. He knows and he sees all. Last week, Psalm 139, where can I go that you are not there? Where can I go? I can't go anywhere because you are everywhere. You can't hide from God. And there are people that want to de be deceived into believing that you can, but it does not happen. The third thing that is so important, you are fleeing from the truth about who God is. In Romans 1, 18 through 20, it says this, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived, being understood by what is made, so they are without excuse. There's three things in there that I'd pull out of Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. The first thing, unbelievers, you're trying to suppress the truth. You're trying to hide the truth from you. The suppression of the truth, uh, one way I had to explain to me, is it's like a spring, a powerful spring that you keep pushing down and pushing down, and as long as you push it down, you don't think it's there. But every once in a while, your hand slips, and all of a sudden, that spring pops up, and all of a sudden, you have to realize, oh, wait a second, there's something godlike here, there's something about God that I need to know, no, I don't want that, and you push it back down again. You suppress the truth, and the wrath of God is against people that do that. Why? Because God has made it inside of every single one of you. He has made it evident. He has created in you the thought that there is a God. And you can say all you want, and you can deny all you want that there is no God, but there is. There is. God's word says it. It's evident. But people suppress it. They try to hide it. The last part there is you're without excuse. You will stand before the Lord someday, and you will not be able to give an excuse that you did not know. Because you know what? You did know, because it's inside of you. You're fleeing from the truth about God if you stay in that position. Fourth thing. This is uh, very amazing and humbling to understand. It should be for you and for all people. 
you don't understand that you belong to God. Even if you are a person that is unsaved and you say, I want nothing to do with God. He's not mine. I don't want anything to do with him. You know what? You're still his. You are his vessel that he will do what he wants. He will do with you as he pleases. So you can deny it all you want, but you still belong to God. You just don't know the peril that you are in. Deuteronomy 32, 35, uh, this verse is talking to Israel. Uh, Moses is writing it, and actually it's a, uh, Moses is saying this. He's talking to Israel. It applies to unbelievers today. This is what God says through Moses. Vengeance is mine and retribution. In due time, their foot, unbelievers, people that do not uh, love the Lord, who reject and rebel against the Lord, their foot will slip. For the day of their disaster is near, and the impending things are hurrying to them. What is Moses saying there? What uh, do you need to understand about your condition today, unbelievers? You are sitting or standing upon a slippery slope. The only thing that is keeping you from disaster, from sliding off that slippery slope into hell, into torment forever, into the wrath of God, is God. He is keeping you from slipping. He has his hand up against you and doesn't allow you to fall. Unbelievers, hear this. All God has to do is say, you know what? You're done, and you're done. And yet God has allowed you the ability to still be here. You're on a slippery slope. In due time, your foot will slip, and you will find yourself in hell. And you will find yourself in hell justly, because that's what you deserve. Judgment is coming. You will be thrown into a lake of fire forever. That's the bad news. But unbelievers, there's good news. It doesn't have to be this way. There was a man who lived a perfect sinless life. He died on a cross for the sins of everyone who would believe in him and place their faith in him. This is the amazing thing. If you even now would put your faith and place your faith in Christ and believe in him, your sins were also sins that Christ took upon the cross thousands of years ago. He took your punishment forever. He took the wrath of God that God had intended for you. God placed that wrath upon his son. He rose from the dead and is alive today and sits at the right hand of the Lord, and he intercedes for us. Unbelievers, victory can be yours if you will believe. You can move from that slippery slope to the solid rock, to salvation, where that rock will never, ever move. I know we hear that a lot. I know you hear it a lot. I pray, though, that the Lord would move today in your heart if you are not a believer. And if the Holy Spirit is stirring you, that I pray that you would talk to somebody. I'd encourage you to talk to somebody. Talk to me. Talk to a teacher. Talk to somebody else that you know is a Christian. But don't delay. Do it today. Believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what you are, brothers and sisters in Christ. If you don't keep or maybe never have had the mindset to live is Christ, you will find yourself trying to hide from God. That's our sin nature that's inside of us. 
it's natural, natural for us to want to move that way. Even as a Christian, we're going to want to naturally go that way if we don't continue to walk and live for Christ. We're going to fight this our whole life. And you have to ask God for help because you can't do it on your own. But is your heart's desire to say, Lord, I want to live for you, Jesus. I want to live for you. I want to be the way that John MacArthur describes Paul. I want that. Every single thing consumes me is about Christ. He dominates my life. Another point for you believers, you can't hide from God. Psalm 139, where can you go that God doesn't see you? Proverbs 5.21 is an interesting place. Uh, it's dealing with young men and the adulterous woman and sexual immorality. And this is what Proverbs 5.21 says. For the ways of everyone or the ways of, the, of men are before the eyes of the Lord, and he observes all his paths. Okay, so we understand in context it's dealing with the fact that God knows exactly, young men, what you're about. He knows it. He sees it. He is there. And we can take that and we can apply it to any aspect of our life because that's always the same. He knows, he sees, he is there. He observes all his paths. You can't hide from God. 1 Kings 19, Elijah is running away from Queen Jezebel. If you remember, it's just right after he's done amazing things, uh, killed the bell prophets, had God consume, uh, fire came down and consumed uh, an altar. Uh, everything is great, it would seem, for Elijah. And then there's the message that comes from Jezebel. You know what? By this time tomorrow, you're going to be dead just like the bell prophets. And Elijah, being this great man of God, hides and flees because he's scared. And he flees all the way down to Mount Sinai, which is where the Ten Commandments were given to the, the Israelite people. And uh, he gets there, and God asks a question two times of him. What are you doing here? That's a question that needs to be asked by you of yourself. What am I doing here? What am I doing? To live as Christ, what am I doing? Third point, <clears throat> just like unbelievers belong to God, Christians, you belong to God. We are the, we are the Lord's, Romans 14, second part of verse 8 would share that. He is for you, but he doesn't want to leave you where you are. If you have been in a spiritual sleep slumber, wake up. What are you doing here? It's time to allow Christ to dominate your life. Changes are here in our nation, in our world. Even today, we're having changes in our government. And if Christ doesn't dominate your life, What's this place going to look like? What's your life going to look like? You're living in a nation right now with a new governing mindset starting today. And it will like you. This nation is going to like you if you're a Christian even less than it already has. And it's going to continue to like you less and less. But that doesn't stop us from being dominated by Christ. Let him be the dominant force in your life. And so, Christians, what needs to happen? 
Maybe it needs to be that you confess and repent. God, you know what? I've been trying to hide from you. I've been fleeing from you in this area of my life. I don't want that anymore. I confess it. I repent. Run to Christ. Don't run from him. Run to him. Cling to Christ. It's not just, hey, Jesus, get close to him and then hang out. It's cling to him. You're what I have to hold on to because nothing else matters. Follow hard after him. So the question becomes, you hear that all the time. Here's the question. When will you do this? Okay? I get applications all the time from, you know, all of you write me applications in the Bible, and there's all sorts of, well, I could do this and this and this. When will you start it? When will you do it? When? Well, when I'm 35 years old or when I'm 80 years old. It needs to start now. Jonah found out the hard way. May we humble ourselves and learn from Jonah so that we are running towards God and not away from him. There is no better place on earth than to be in the will of the Lord. To live is Christ. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that you would help us to understand what it means to live for Christ. That we would take time, we would meditate upon this truth, that we would confess and repent of our sinfulness when we try to hide and flee from you, just like Jonah. Yet, God, you can still use us. May you change our heart. May you help us to be people who are quick to respond to your words, to live for you, to be dominated by your ways and not our ways. I just pray that you would be honored as we go into our day. Father, may we live for Christ. May that be our greatest theme and our banner, not only of our life, but of our school. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know what we're going to do, e-group, or we pretty well.